Hey folks, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that the Union of Community Podcasters is doing a little live stream to benefit uh, the Black Lives Matter protests and its protesters. Uh, This is going to happen this Saturday, June 13th, starting at 12 p.m. on the Communies with two S's YouTube channel. Uh, We are going to get together and do a huge rewatch of Community Season 1. Uh, and all of your favorite podcasters will be there uh, throughout the event to uh, comment on that first season, share their stories, and uh, promote these good causes. So if you want to do that, it's obviously completely free to sign up. Uh, You don't have to sign up at all. In fact, you just go on over to YouTube on the Communities YouTube page. Again, that is June 13th, starting at noon Eastern Time, running until approximately 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I will likely be on either from 12 to 3 or 1 to 4, so you might as well just stay there for the whole time, because eventually I will show up. Uh, So one more time, that's the Union of Community Podcasters, this Saturday, June 13th, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, to whenever the first season of Community ends, Eastern Time, benefiting Black Lives Matter, and I hope to chat with you there. Bye-bye! Wait, Roland Emmerich, who's that? Who's that? Oh, that's wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can pull it. That's I dude, believe in you. That's dude from. That's dude from Person of Interest and Lost. Yeah. No. That you're close. Emerson. That you're thinking of Michael Emerson. I mean, Michael Emerson. You okay. were very close to Noah Emmerich, who is a character actor who I imagine is on at least one episode of Person of Interest. Sure. But you Roland... were actually searching for well, Roland Emmerich, uh, director of such films. As Independence Day, Godzilla <laughs> with Matthew Broderick. Okay, okay, okay. I knew the uh, name. Twenty <laughs> twelve. Oh shit! He's the guy that only directs Bombast. I get it. <laughs> uh yes. Hold on. Except there is one exception. Oh yay! We get to dive into Roland Emmerich. <laughs> um, there is. So most of his films have a pretty common thread between them. Sure, okay. Sure. Uh, starting at a certain point, because you have Universal Soldier and you have Stargate. Okay, so the '90s are off to a big start. Sure. Independence Day. Yeah. Godzilla, 1998. The day after tomorrow, 2012. So it's all death and and mass hysteria. Like that is his bag. Mm-hmm. That is what he likes to play. I feel with. like you're about to drop something on me that's going to make me both sad and interested. <laughs> it will make you. Definitely sad. Oh no! A little interesting. Um, so in 2011, he he's like, all right, you know, after 10,000 BC, after the Patriot with Mel Gibson, it's time for a change of pace. It's time to really, really make a change. The name that you know everyone thinks of Roland Emmerich. He's this dumb, uh, you know, waves chasing people down a highway guy. We're gonna show them the depth of Nolan Emmerich, where of course he makes. Anonymous, a movie about uh, oh the God. conspiracy theory that Shakespeare, Shakespeare did not a direct. Name? Yeah, that Shakespeare was a pen name of, like of a the di- of the Earl of Oxford. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
one of those conspiracy theories where it's like that movie. Shakespeare was a poor. How could he have written these plays? How could Shakespeare know about Africa? <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. People heard about Africa. Like it was around. Africa was there. And Shakespeare heard about it. And he gets a lot of facts about it wrong in various places. Oh, no. He's wrong about what animals are in what countries. Yeah. Wasn't Reese Ifans in this movie? Yeah. Because I, like, I, he, because, I believe he's the uh, he's I, the centerpiece. He's the titular anonymous. Okay. Because I generally like him. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then I remember seeing this and being like, oh, no. So anonymous does not go well for Mr. Roland Emmerich. No. Uh, I can't the, imagine uh, so he. Did. So we rebounds. We get White House down. All right. The when we had two movies about oh, the president getting captured. Yeah. Wait, White House down. He was directed the, the one with Channing Tatum Jamie Foxx. <laughs> no, yeah, he directed Jamie the Channing Tatum Jamie Foxx one. <laughs> They're both in it. They They're are. both on the cover. Um, you know that movie, Obama administration, black president, uh, White House down, bold choice, white president, interesting take. And then uh, after the White House movie, not very successful, he's like, all right, Roland, we're going to try to be smart one more time. And he directs Stonewall, a movie about the Stonewall riots. Wow, Roland Emmerich actually kind of was on topic <laughs> somehow. He was on topic. However, he really de-emphasized the, <laughs> the uh, main character of Stonewall in real life. He made it about a white kid. Oh. <laughs> bad. That's, bad try, Roland. That's like, that's like not knowing there was a boat to aim for and therefore missing. <laughs> Yeah, what is uh, what's uh, what's our homie Emmerich done since then? In the, um, the next, the, after he did Stonewall, the Independence Day sequel. Okay. Yeah, he did the Independence Day sequel. He did. There was a. You can't prove this movie came out last year, but allegedly it did. A movie called Midway. This movie is basically Pearl Harbor, but yeah, more exactly. west. It's one of those movies that you're like, are you sure this isn't Pearl Harbor? Are you sure this hasn't been done? Because I've seen Pearl Harbor, and this looks like that. I watched the trailer and was like, I've seen this already. <laughs> I've seen this already. It's called Battleship from 2012. <laughs> and somehow got the, the acting talents of Liam Neeson, Rihanna, and Taylor Kitsch. <laughs> Liam Neeson's uh, in that movie. <laughs> Liam Neeson's. How about some Liam Neeson's in that dark man, though? He's Roland Emmerich isn't stopping, though. He's making a movie with Halle Berry and Josh Gad, which sounds like a joke cast but is not Match about a space crew about a, hold on wait till you hear it about a space crew that travels to the moon after it's struck by an asteroid and is sent on a collision course with earth with josh gad <laughs> oh dude all right we can move on after this i absolutely have to bring this up because it does seem like he likes to fumble cultural icons the 16th century Sp the story of a 16th century spaniard gonzalo guerrero who was held captive by a mayan tribe and eventually converts their ways and beliefs and fights to their ways and beliefs, sorry, and fights for them against the Spanish. Is that coming up, or it's did upcoming. he already do that? It's upcoming. That? Oh, I bet that's going to be culturally sensitive. Uh, <laughs> oh, I bet. Oh, I bet this fucking cheap-ass Last of the Mohicans that he's making, oh, I bet it's going to be real woke, dude. The real question is, which white guy will he get to play the Spaniard, Gonzalo Guerrero? <laughs> Mm, who, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think, is Gyllenhaal done with his playing other races phase? Yeah, is, yeah, uh, no, Gyllenhaal's totally respectable now. Yeah, he retired after, uh, he retired that part of his career after Prince of Persia, where everyone looked at him and went, I'm sorry? 
Dastin? Really, bro? You, Your last name's Jill. The, prin- <laughs> the Prince of where? <laughs> Is it the same Persia I'm thinking of? <laughs> it, the you are the particular prince. Just the incredulous stammering you're doing. Of Persia, <laughs> that Persia, <laughs> like the per- like Xerxes, like fucking per- you. Yes. You? Your name has two A's next to each other in the last name. You? You are Persia, huh? Yeah. That Persia, huh? Obviously, they're going to cast Scarlett Johansson in this movie. We just don't know what she'll play. <laughs> she can, you know, the brilliant thing about Scarlett Johansson is she can play anything. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, she can play anything. Oh, and it's just the perfect. Wait. <gasps> <gasps> Anyway, just the perfect reminder that some movies are very good. Um, I do believe I just found out that fucking Knives Out's going to be on Prime next month or this month. Uh, I last time I saw it's it's soon. It's very soon. Um, oh, which fuck is yeah. very exciting for everyone. I, that movie I, uh, rules the school. Yep, yeah, we just talked about a good steady thread of movies that did not rule any schools, but perhaps the school of hard knocks. And <laughs> but it's really nice to come back to like a real fucking solid. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of my favorite movies of last year. One of a my bunch favorite of movies of the last maybe five years. Honestly? Yeah, Daniel Craig uh, should have won Best Actor. Ugh. Like, fucking beat up Joaquin Phoenix in the fucking street, dude. Uh, Daniel Craig should have got his ass key for Knives Out as Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc. I have eliminated <laughs> no suspects. <laughs> I've, I've been watching James Bond. I just, for some reason, was like, I want to watch Casino Royale. And then, of course, I went well, to Quantum Well, don't Solace. you always? Right? <laughs> Does- uh don't, doesn't everyone always just want to watch Casino Royale? Because I kind of want to watch it right now. Dude, it's very good. It's very good. And, like, this is this is a podcast about a different show, believe it or not. Uh, hey. But there are parts of that movie that don't stand up, if you know what I mean. Like, some of the ways that people address Eva Green's character in that movie are a little, huh. But it also feels so quintessentially James Bond to be just a little chauvinistic. And, like... Right? This movie nails that because you can tell, and especially as the movies have progressed, you know, through Quantum of Solace, Spectre, and or Quantum of Solace, mm-hmm. Star, Skyfall, and Spectre, they're very mature, and it's not the James Bond that always gets the girl, at all anymore. <clears throat> um, yeah, she keeps dying. <laughs> he keeps getting them killed. Yeah, I super dig it. I super dig it. I don't know how serious you're being the best, about because Casino, Casino Royale. Royale is also. This is also like James Bond. You know, at the at the beginning of that movie. He's like sleeping with somebody's wife and she ends up dead in a hammock. Yeah. Uh, but by the end of the movie, he's like, that kind of sucked. I'm I'm going to fucking give it all up for Ava Green, which like, if anybody's going to convince you, it might be right. Ava Green. There might be Penny Dreadful. Yeah, it might just be uh, the antagonist from 300 Rise of an Empire. It might just be... <laughs> Miss Peregrine, who of course has the titular home for peculiar children, it might just be Ava Oh Green. fuck, I forgot that movie existed. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that movie existed. Oh shit. Yeah, look that's up funny. Samuel L. Jackson in that movie. Just like real quick. Just like just like real quick. No, that's not a thing. Look up Samuel Damn. L. Jackson in Miss Peregrine's <laughs> home for peculiar children, uh, please. <laughs> okay, I'm doing it. <laughs> what? He's just Mr. Gla- he's just Mr. Glass, but but, but do you crazier. see his teeth? 
Do you see no, his teeth? No, hold on. I haven't seen his teeth yet. Oh, you got are to they, see his teeth. Are they sharp? Oh, they're sharp. They're sharp. That's he's a bad guy. <laughs> he has got sharp teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Is that are we are we stuck with that? Are we resorting to we have no other way to give you the idea this person might be bad? Other than giving no, him he's white glowing eyes and sharp teeth. Is this the bad guy? <laughs> <laughs> he seems so nice. <laughs> well, I have nothing telling me that I shouldn't trust him. He seems so trustworthy. It's like uh, you know, I'm watching you know, I'm watching a movie about a little boy wizard and then like a snake man with big red eyes shows up and I'm like, is this a bad guy? <laughs> hey, this guy literally has a hole in his face that should be a nose and he's pale and looks like Satan. Is he bad? Is that a, is that a bad guy? Might be bad. That guy might be bad. This is, of course, Advanced <laughs> Community Studies, a podcast where we go through the American television comedy community. Uh, I am one of your hosts, TV's Kevin Lanigan, and I could be by the side of the road. I could be anywhere. <laughs> oh, boy. I am one of your other hosts. As we have mentioned before, the third host is you. Uh, but I'm the number two. Caleb, uh, and if you don't know us or you're not a fan of us, you might just be streets behind. Oh, excellent. Uh, so we, we're, uh, we're, we're chugging right along through the first season. Home stretch. Home. Yeah. It's, we got, th- including this one we're recording right now, we got three eppies until we're done with season one. Ain't it something? Ain't that crazy? Ain't it something? Ain't it something, though? Uh, and uh, uh, we, uh, 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 of course, we must do the Twitter updates uh, from over at Greendale 3. Uh, the the big one this past week, since last we recorded, was uh, program your ultimate community double feature. You're pairing two otherwise disconnected episodes up together. Um, so... My big idea was pair one of the episodes we're talking about tonight, uh, uh, Contemporary American Poultry, and pair it up with Critical Film Studies from season two. Two Jeff and Abed dynamics where they are relating to each other deeply in the middle of a uh, a genre episode. I don't know if I have a good answer to this. So I can tell you, one of my absolute go-tos absolute go-tos is pillows and blankets i can't escape it it's one of the it's greats always it's always there for me <laughs> yeah and it's definitely in the first three seasons it might be documentary filmmaking redux okay i like it because that one's very good mm-hmm. it might no fuck me remedial chaos theory there you go it remedial chaos and and Pillows and blankets. And my wife would attest to you that my answer is honest because she, for probably about six months, always happened to come into the house when I was watching that show on <laughs> one of those two episodes. <laughs> and she was like, I swear to God, you only watch these episodes. And I was like, no, I don't. Just season three is fever pitch. The whole season's good. Some pretty fucking dope shit. <laughs> um, but shall we? Shall we enter into the discussion this week? And I do apologize, audience. I'm um, a little high out of my gourd, so we are we are having an episode over here. Hey, let's we're all coping right now. Yep, and community uh, doing a little self medicating, and then I'll go back out <laughs> on the street. Then I'll come home, a little bit more self medicating, back out on the. It's a it's a it's a ping pong. It's a cycle that goes back and forth. 
And uh, that's uh, how I stay alive. Uh, season one. Yes. Episode 21. Contemporary American Poultry. It's Chicken Fingers, baby. Uh, directed by Tristram Shapiro. And uh, written by Emily Cutler and Carrie Dornetto. Uh, Greendale gets chicken finger fever. And when Abed gets instated as uh, the fry cook, Jeff feels like he's losing his power over the study group. Um, first episode since the pilot, by my recollection, there is no B story. It is it is one episode completely devoted to one plot. Sure. And obviously you have the little runners in the back, but there is no arc running parallel to this one. No, I think that if anything, you could argue that this this the the primary arc highlights the secondary arc that is happening simultaneously, but is not a B. And that sounds nonsensical, what I just said. But as much as this episode is about Jeff understanding how much he needs to have some kind of control in the group, I think this episode's also about Abed finding a way to communicate with people. Absolutely. And that's only slightly brought up in the right in the middle, right before Jeff goes a little bananas uh, when mm -hmm. he tries to appeal to Abed's better reason. And then right at the end when Abed's trying to what is he making at the end? Onion rings or something like that. He, he's trying different things. Onion rings, uh, zucchini circles. And... <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like, he's trying to figure it out because people are getting tired of chicken. Right. Um, and he's like, he's... well, if they get tired of chicken, they get tired they of me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it's over. A uh, little fun fact, just scrolling through here. This is the uh, least viewed episode of season one when it comes to like live viewers. People were not tuning in for Chicken Fingers, which is a damn What? Shame because this, I don't think that had anything That's... to do with this episode, but it has about a million less viewers than the show was averaging at this point million and a half i don't know if something was going on on 422 2010 uh but it was um it was the least viewed episode of the show so far this is also the episode where i feel like community becomes community this is the yeah. the show is moved out of its we're doing a school plot and we are ascending into what would become known as community it's definitely one of the first and most deep lean in reference episodes there right? have been like other the whole structure of the school changes this episode yes. um for something that the greed that the could that our, our study group does which we'll see frequently going forward um yep. as i mentioned just a moment ago with with you know uh, pillows and blankets but like this may be the first time the whole school is impacted by a thing and you watch like the way that everything communication commerce education like the whole school changes based on abed's chicken finger currency which seems ridiculous which like part of me was like yeah i mean that makes sense that people wouldn't be watching it but that doesn't it doesn't make sense i because, don't think it like, has any direct relation to the mm -hmm. episode itself the, i don't think we content, had a lot of right, people that right. were like oh this sounds terrible and didn't watch it <laughs> something sure. something was drawing away their attention that night is but, it because the episode before that was the science of illusion? I can't imagine they lost a full fifth a of their viewership <laughs> by an episode that is still sure. pretty funny. Yeah, you're <laughs> you right. Know? You're right. You're right. It's a cookie wand. It's a cookie uh, wand. Yeah, exactly. Cookie wand. 
self-inflicted friendly fire. There's no way they lost a million people from that episode. Uh, no, you're right. Yeah, so uh, for whatever reason, this is the least viewed episode of season one. Uh, but if you put this rating in season two or season three, it would be the highest rated of either of those seasons. You know, yeah, it was this right. was uh, the end. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> well, that's the thing, because the, the original episode order for season one is 22 episodes. And late in the game, NBC says we're adding three more. So, so come up with three more episodes you can give us near the end of the season. And those three episodes become Chicken Fingers, The Art of Discourse, which is the next uh, one, and Modern Warfare. And if we don't get that three-episode order, we don't get the two episodes from this season that turn community into the show it would ultimately into a, become. Into a thing, yeah, for sure into a cult sensation that paintball every time somebody watches community for the first time they always you see their post late in the game where they're like hey guys i just watched the paintball episode of community oh you know (laughs) well um so what what is this show and how have i been missing out on it exactly so So is this the best show i've ever seen in my entire (laughs) life it might be how did you hide this from me for so long you dirty bastards Um, this is the first Jeff and Abed episode we've gotten in quite some time because Jeff is always the main character in season one and Abed is one of the study group members that supports his own story the best. So there's usually an Abed story in the B story and a Jeff story in the A story. Sure, And this is the first time they've like really met up for a long time, I feel. No, wait. Communication studies was only five episodes ago. Oh yeah, I guess yeah they did they did Scorsese drank with De Niro. They do do the drunk Dozo. You're right, you're right, you're right. But like still, five episodes in a in a group of people that's only what seven deep. Yeah, five episodes, and then it's another bunch of episodes before it's you get a while back until to you get another one. Yeah, exactly. So it it's been some time before we really got a Jeff and Abed story, and these two understand each other in a really interesting way because i think they both abed obviously openly but i think they both really rely on their pop culture references to relate to people because jeff is the one who always understands abed's references he's the Uh, only one old enough (laughs) he's the only one old enough he's like and his contemporaries are shirley and britta who are not big tv watchers Uh, Pierce isn't going to get them. Annie and Troy are too young for what Abed's talking about. So these two understand each other in a really interesting way. This very strange pop cultural lens. Well, it's kind of like what I was saying uh, earlier with the, like, the story doing the, like, no, there's no B plot. It's just two A plots. And like you said, because Abed can handle his own thing on his own normally i think they take advantage of that and just let his story play out in the background rather than making it the b plot which is an interesting choice right because this this episode could have been more a back and forth between like abed and watching him take control of the school and then cutting back to jeff as he realizes he's losing control of the study group and instead before jeff realizes it abed's kind of running shit and Abed does the narration for you, which makes you feel like it's about Jeff because you don't see Abed, but Abed's just telling you what he's been doing. Right. Um, it's really a creative way to like just have two A plots happen at once. And I like it. Mm-hmm. I dig it. 
Yeah, and since this is, like, literally being told from Abed's perspective, I think it colors... They're more free to fully lean into the Goodfellas thing because this is being told by a pop-cultural obsessive. And then we, the audience, get more used to this show operating in that lens. But this, this initial time where we do a full, like script cinematography music homage to a pop cultural property it has to be through abed's eyes yeah for sure this episode's dope yeah this is a it would be my double feature i think this will be one of those ones we debate about being in the top 10 for a minute i think it's going to hang into the top 10 for at least the front half of season two and it might make it out of season two in the top 10. There's going to be some, some dicey, uh, uh, back and forth there. But again, that's just because community season two is a series of home fucking runs. It is an unbelievable set of fucking bangers. One, 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 (laughs) just over, over and over and over and over. If there is a criticism of this episode, I would say that the other members of the study group are so fickle in it they they suddenly will like bow to any shiny toy you place in front of them uh and they seem so fucking shallow and materialistic because <laughs> abed can bribe them with a hairdresser or a guy in the entourage named travis uh you know he can, he can <laughs> they're so easily duped and bribed um, that uh, they they can be swayed, but I, it doesn't bother me too terribly much. No, no, they, there it does get a little into severity, but mm. it's so brief. It's like, wait, hold on. They have there's a, there's a posse and a monkey and a, a team of hairdressers, and, and it happens happen? overnight. And then, <laughs> it happens yeah, it's just immediately. boom, and you're you catch it. You, it's it's interesting because you catch it with the same amount of confusion and what the hey as jeff does because he's just like what what <laughs> and then and then it's pretty quickly moved past that but i remember getting to that and being like why is all of this happening <laughs> what is going on here this is the origin <laughs> of annie's boobs like this is a huge yeah. episode uh if you're talking about the canon of the show uh, uh, this is also something that sticks out to me is that we're still in season one of Community. So if they want to, they can buy the rights to Eric Clapton's Layla and put the <laughs> piano version <laughs> over a montage. They still have Layla money, which is not something they'll hold on to for very long. It is not. It is not. By the time oh, you man. get to season three, like, you got two songs that they have the rights to they have roxanne for one episode and they, and they bought use it a lot that one saxophone uh song and they run that for the entire season or season yeah. five they bought the rights to ants marching by the dave matthews band and they play it again and again and again because it's the only song i got an ipod with one song on it so i'm gonna listen to it over and over again Community with money is a, is a is a beautiful thing. What a strange beast! By the what time you get strange. to season six, people are like, "Why is the lighting so different?" Oh, it's like, oh, because they shot it in a basement. They shot it underneath 
Parks and Recreation. Like, Parks and Recreation is on one floor, the ground floor, with windows, and Community is in the fucking <laughs> sub-basement. Hey, you don't make a show like this in those conditions without a lot of character. Yes, you. it gives you your fucking punk bona fides. You're playing in these shitty basement clubs. You know, you're, you, you, you're earning your stripes as a... At, you're earning your punk rep by, by playing all these garbage fucking shows. That's where the real shit happens. Yeah, buddy. Get them bona fides. Get them bona fides. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, God, what a, what a, what a homer. What a goddamn yeah. home run, knock it out of the dang park. Yeah, well, it's, I almost describe it to my friends as, like, the episodes where they do this, they're, like, pinch hitters. They're, like, you're used to the way a show goes on TV, right? You know what you're gonna get every week. Some shenanigans, um, some, some stuff. And then it'll go into the next week. And then, like, occasionally you get those episodes in community that are like a pinch hitter. Like, all of a sudden, the batting order's mixed oh, up and some God. new guy shows up and then just fucking crushes it. And you're like, duh. All right. That was the weirdest shit I've ever watched. But just it just fucking absolutely <laughs> fucking destroys it. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Uh, I, uh, 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 uh had a thought and um that I'm is sorry a... I, I just i neutered that thought with my baseball reference and i apologize <laughs> you really just fucking uh uh smacked it out of the park which is fine whatever i thought oh yes i'm back there to it, it is. now Found it. future kevin <laughs> have fun editing that out um so this episode got me thinking about ken jong on the show because going through season one he is very selectively applied there are some episodes where he's in a scene or one shot, uh, and uh, they they barely apply him. And I understand <sighs> why they always work him in, because he is getting that main credit show. He is a series regular on Community. Right. So every episode of Community... You have to pay Ken Jong. Whether he's in it or not, the way those contracts work is that right. you have contracted him for this set number of episodes. And even if you don't use him, you have to pay him. So you might as well call in Ken Jong for one shot where he says, Thanks, Abed, and takes a tray of chicken fingers. <laughs> because you're paying Ken Jong anyway. You might as well get yeah. your Ken Jong out of it. <laughs> Yeah, he barely even looks at the characters in in the shot. He just kind of like, eh, and then goes. That's it. All right, cool. That's fine. I don't know. That's just the kind of uh, stupid dorky con uh, track shit that I <laughs> uh, uh, think about while watching this show for the 400th time. I'm like, oh, wow, they really, like, Ken is in one shot in this episode. There are some episodes he's straight up not in. So for one of the big important characters on the show, I just, I find that interesting. I find that fascinating. Yeah, quite. When was the last and time it, we were, we don't spend a lot of time in Spanish class. <laughs> no, we don't. And like Spanish class is not a thing. And a few episodes, they, uh, they move beyond it. So our time will... in Spanish class is really relegated to the test, the final. Yep. Which hasn't happened yet. The... Fight. <laughs> I'll allow it. 
there's um, often the, like, oh, we'll set a scene in the Spanish class or we'll... Yeah, they often you know, break out of the Spanish class, right? They often Immediately. Like, we like, yeah. beginning of the episode, we do a quick Ken Jong bit and off to the plot of the episode. <laughs> yeah, like the adios. Adios. Right. Guys are telling you to leave and then they finally go. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we're our, our experience with of senior chang as senior chang is limited but even as limited as it is it's so unbelievably memorable it's fucking every every time he shows up he drops some fucking nugget of gold and uh it's a it's a it's a sight to behold this there are other versions of this character (laughs) that i like because he basically changes every single season sure yeah he does this and gets worse in some Senior Chang might <laughs> be my favorite. There's one that comes close, but this is still the best they have applied him thus far. Sure. Yeah, he's very good. And he may have mentioned our, our podcast a couple times. Oh, yeah. He was uh, at the beginning <laughs> of last week's episode. Uh, you know, that little clippy uh, snip that out, threw it on the top of the ep. Uh, so nice. thanks, Ken. Ken, nice. you're a hell of a guy. Nicest fucking yeah. guy coolest yeah, fucking I've dude ever interacted with one of the coolest dudes uh but he uh plays what a what an interesting monster he plays the the <laughs> classes they I... go to will become increasingly less and less important until ultimately they stop taking them but like sure. you know spanish we spend comparably a good amount of time in and then anthropology gets like four or five episodes with a couple different teachers and then biology we we have like two or three like he uh is yeah. barely in it and then and they're already history taking... too <laughs> no right right they start splitting up too and doing different classes for like single episodes in some cases yeah <laughs> like there's one episode where they take a women's studies class one episode one episode. In that class. <laughs> they take one they take a sailing class for one episode and you're like was this a certificate what class was it was conducted? an independent singular study <laughs> it wasn't even one of those classes on the weekend where you go to school like all saturday and that's one foreign language credit right, right, like right. they knock it out over a couple school days in the middle of the day <laughs> yeah you know we don't think about those things when you are watching it every week, but yeah. you can't help but notice them when you binge them next to each other. When you come back, yeah, and you're like, "What? How, in what way does this school operate? Wait a minute. What is going on here? Who is in Family charge? Family day hasn't happened yet. Hey, wait a minute. The timeline's <laughs> I didn't order. notice that. I've watched this show seven times through. Never noticed that they mentioned Family Day, the episode before Family Day happened. <laughs> That's okay. You thoroughly fucked up my entire worldview, and you said, "I was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, that's uh, not uh, that no. doesn't happen. <laughs> that can't be. No, no. Yeah, yeah, absolute. So let's uh, let's segue on to uh, a very divisive episode, uh, season one, episode twenty-two, the art oh, of discourse, a, directed by Adam Davidson, written by Chris McKenna. Uh, Jeff and Britta get into a war with a pair of high schoolers. <laughs> As, and it's as entertaining uh, as you would imagine. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Shirley and Pierce get into a huge fight. At the same time, Troy and Abed are trying to knock off classic college cliches. 
Uh, this? <laughs> I'm, I've been and I are smuggling a pretzel in her butts, and I put mustard on mine like an idiot. <laughs> like an idiot. Uh, yeah, what a what an excellent uh, uh, plotline that is. It culminates in a food fight. Always good. <laughs> Got the animal house, like, where are they now? Titles at the end. Solid stuff. Truly appreciate. This has a divisive reputation among community fans. I feel like some people loathe this episode. Watching it now, I laughed a lot. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> We have been reduced. Our our ability to be picky about our own comedy has been reduced so thoroughly by both quarantine and the state of the world that now even the slightly funny is almost hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have friends that I don't laugh at that I play Xbox with who have been hysterical for the last three days. And it's because I'm broken, Kevin. <laughs> I have broken. Yeah. Uh, I... Oh, I understand. We're, we're shattered tethers of what used to be men. Um... See, I think I understand where you're coming from with this, though, because I did watch this episode this week and like... I think my initial viewing of this, I was like, oh my god, this was so dumb. And it doesn't, that, that hasn't changed. This episode's very dumb in See. the Jeff and Britta plot, at the very least. You can say there's some redeeming quality to Shirley and, and Pierce's th thread, because it does have a pretty good wrap-up. Mm -hmm. um, and Troy and Abed's is always, almost always, they're just chaotic, neutral storyline. Yeah. Um, but I think I laughed at the Britta and Jeff storyline this time more because like i said it didn't change from being stupid i just laughed at how stupid it was instead of being annoyed by how stupid it was and i don't for know sure. if it's the same for you but that's what it was for me i was like man this is dumb this but is I chuckled every time <laughs> it's 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 very straight it's 40 year old men trying to articulate what they think teenagers, teenagers sound, like. sound like yeah absolutely <laughs> or they're using these nonsense words that you've never heard before in your entire life it's like they're speaking a different language uh <laughs> grandpa schlip schlap uh might get better the older we get kevin <laughs> Where we we're now siding with Jeff and Britta more and more. <laughs> yeah. The more we become Jeff and Britta, and the more high schoolers sound like fucking aliens to us, the more this yeah. episode will just get it. This episode gets us sudden, suddenly. <laughs> it's just it finally makes perfect sense. This is what young people sound like. <laughs> Running around calling people schmitties or whatever, and just yeah. being mean to me for being old. And I... <laughs> stop it! Stop it, young people. Some kid called me Schlip Schlap, and I have bad feelings about it. He got young kid skateboarded up to me, said a Schlip Schlap, and skateboarded <laughs> up. And skittily dated away. He grinded on an ollie or whatever. <laughs> he said grinded on an ollie. Grinded on oh, an ollie. Fuck. Yeah. Doing their tricks and... Doing and their kickflips, collecting the five tape decks so they can unlock the secret outfit. I know what skateboarding is. <laughs> oh, shit. Making uh. a create a character. I see you, kids. <laughs> it doesn't even work with the laws of physics. Nah, you you can't save that character if I take out the GameCube memory card. <laughs> um, 
Jesus. This is so, it got so deep and referential. I love it so much. Yeah, we, What's uh, crazy spiraled... is we're getting Tony Hawk 1 and 2 again this fall. Fuck it, dude. Here we go. <laughs> Fuck it, dude. It's happening. See, Kevin? We're going to watch this episode again in September, and we're going to be like... This makes perfect this, sense to me. This is true. And this is what kids are like. <laughs> uh, I, I think we are at a very interesting stage for Joel McHale, the comedic actor. Because he could always deliver a joke. He was always a handsome man. He could deliver a punchline. But he is in the process of becoming a really strong comedic actor. And the way he's, you know, even a step up from Goldblum last week. Like, we are we are seeing him stretch these muscles. Stre- be, form a more complete character perspective for Jeff Winger. And, mm-hmm. and we see that psychology really coming into play here. Uh, and we, we uh, have Britta right alongside him. And Gillian is going through sort of a similar arc where she's coming from an acting perspective. And this is becoming a comedic performance. Does that, does that all check out? Did that make sense? Yeah, when it came yeah, out yeah. Of my no, that, that jives. That jives. I'm on board. Just, just something I'm observing here. I'm out of water. There's nothing in here anymore. Oh yeah, I'm... isn't that the worst? Where you're like, I need water. Oh shit, this is uh, this is empty. Oh fuck, dude. Um, so that is that is the trajectory that we're on. The the Shirley and Pierce plot is fine. I kind of like the resolution. It feels a little too neat. You know, Shirley is yeah. asked to forgive him yeah. for some pretty heinous shit pretty quickly, but. The idea itself, as as them being the least respective members of the group, yeah, works for me. Even if the execution is a little wonky, it's not it's not waterproof. I was recently reminded of a scene. Actually, you know what? I wasn't even reminded. I never watched the movie, but I watched this scene of uh, Transformers: The Last Night, where the knights, I guess, are about to execute Optimus, oh, no. and then they go to they go to hit him with a sword. And Marky Mark of the Funchy, the Funchy, the Funchy Bunk, the Funky Bunch. Marky Mark and um, the Funky Bunk. Holds out a sword with his human arms to a three-story robot and stops it. <gasps> and then the robots are like, the sword. And they step down. And then Mark says the just dumbest shit to Optimus. Like, we need you, essentially. And then Optimus stands up to the guys who are about to execute him and goes, I'll never betray you again. And then they're just on the same team again. (laughs) So like of the worst ways you could have a repentance stage in a show or in a storyline happen. um, While this one is fast, it is not the worst I've seen. Sure. Uh, Which I'm realizing as I'm saying it is not exactly a laudatory statement. Most episodes of (laughs) Community, I think, are better than Transformers 5 The Last Night. Uh, That, of course, being (laughs) the movie that posits several very interesting things. Uh, That magic is real, but it's actually just Transformer magic. Uh, That establishes that the Transformers not only were there, but aided... Harriet Tubman freeing slaves along the Underground Railroad. Transformers The Last Night confirms that the Transformers fought in World War II. The which side? I am not sure. I think, you know, they played both sides of that one. 
uh, depending on what symbol is on their arm or whatever. I mean, Optimus Prime. No, I'm just kidding. Move on, move on, move on. He uh, caught that iron fist, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry, for some reason, the Transformers, that, that, I needed to talk to somebody about that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you finally got that off your chest. It was bugging me. I understand. I'm glad, I'm glad you made it this far. <laughs> it was only, it was only a few days, but trust me, it would not, I would not have lasted until next week's episode. I perhaps <laughs> would have exploded. You would have burst out. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg would have, from inside you, stuck a sword out and cut his way free. How's it going, everybody? Hey. I've been inside there. I was Just inside there. He was thinking about me a lot. So that is the exceptional state that we are in. Uh, <laughs> do you like... Now, I'm a fan. Do you like Greendale's two-day-long bikini car wash? <laughs> because... Well, we see the bikini car wash in two scenes of this episode, and they take place on different days. So this is like an it means, event. Uh, it's a bikini car wash weekend. It's Greendale bikini car wash weekend. <laughs> Charity car wash weekend. It's going to buy girls volleyball uniforms. Oh, no, it's going to Charity. Her house burnt down. I would applaud. It's terrible audio, but know that if I had hands, they would be clapping. If I had not cried at the sunrise this morning, I would be weeping. <laughs> now, that means you have to um, find a laugh track to, or a applause track to put into this. Can I mention I my favorite line from this episode? Please do. Because there's a moment where for some reason Troy's got talking about his uncle being struck by lightning. And he says, my uncle was struck by lightning. You'd think it would give you superpowers, but he just masturbates in elevators. <laughs> oh, my God. What? <laughs> How do you... Oh, shit, man. Oh, what a, what, a, what a fucking time to be alive. This episode never gets uh, credit for having a guest star, but, of course, uh, that kid, Mark's mom, is played by... Lisa Rena, who was on Days of Our Lives for, let me do this math, 26 years? 26 years? <laughs> 26 years. Now, soap operas can be weird because you can take long gaps. You know, your character's dead for five years and then you come back. You know, that, that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah, sure. Soap operas so, are so weird, dude. Soap operas are weird and they are unfortunately going the way of the dodo like that medium is becoming extinct because soap operas existed to entertain i mean women that were home all the time they they existed to uh uh, cater to moms and housewives who could sit down and watch their stories but now that mom's got netflix she don't need Days of Our Lives no more because she's got Breaking Bad. And Breaking Bad has a higher rate of production value. They have more time to write scripts. They don't have to pump out a script of a soap opera literally every single day. They are due another hour-long script. Dude, she was also a Nick Fury agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) Now, don't don't hear us wrong, audience. She was not in the ABC show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which you might be familiar with. She was in the TV movie Nick Fury agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., wherein David David Hasselhoff Hasselhoff (laughs) portrayed Nick Fury in his first on-screen appearance. I didn't didn't think you were... 
you were being literal with your you could be on a soap opera for like a season and then take a five year break if you go through her history if you go like, through the check notes so 346 episodes, episodes. <laughs> dude from they don't even have names no, episodes of dude. days of our lives are called episode number 1.13277 and they're not ordered in number or if they are, there's so many of them that, that whatever. So she's in a ton of episodes in 93, right? Yep. And then she's in 94, 95, nothing until 2002. So seven-year break right Damn. there. Damn. Ton of episodes in 2002, four episodes in 2004, ton of episodes in 2005, nothing until 2012. It's and a then a shit ton of 2012, about a dozen in 2013, and then nothing until 2018. So she may not be through. done with that show unless she died in the last episode that she did. And then even then it's a soap opera, baby. <laughs> you can then, bring them on back. Famously, it's, you can yeah. bring them on back. Uh, but yeah, soap operas are bananas and I respect them. It actually sounds like a lot of fun to write a soap opera. Uh, obviously, you have to put out a script every day, but you can kind of do whatever crazy batshit thing you want, whatever, like, dumb... You can be overdramatic. You can uh, uh, really play it to the raptors. Like, soap operas are fucking dope. And, you know, you can't stream them anywhere. There's nowhere you could go where you could watch 26 years of Days of Our Lives if you wanted to. No, but it's just gone. <laughs> just it's just see. gone. It's So it becomes one of these things where, okay, so Days of Our Lives ran for however many years and those episodes are not accessible to anyone because they don't play in reruns and they're not on fucking Netflix because you'd crash Netflix's servers. <laughs> yeah. Because so, you'd need hundreds. Does Days of Our Lives exist anymore? Does I mean, it exist? Maybe it never existed. Maybe we're all just experiencing the Mandela effect right now. Right. It was called Days of Our Deaths. Uh, but they... No, it was Days of Our Lives with an F. <laughs> it was Days of Our Berenstain. Um, they, but so so the, in a Schrodinger's Days of Our Lives situation, <laughs> if Days of Our Lives in theory once existed but is no longer existent, does it exist? If you can't watch it anywhere, does it exist? I mean, technically, no, because. The further time gets away from this point, the harder it will be to remember that thing. And if society were to be discovered in 200 years, Days of Our Lives would not be a part of the society that they discovered. Because <laughs> there's right. no record. So right? these thousands of hours of Days of Our Lives, is there a fucking backup somewhere? Like, did we run a VHS tape and copy them off of TV? Like, is there an NBC vault somewhere full of <laughs> thousands of episodes of Days of Our Is there some poor NBC intern whose job it is to digitize Days of Our Lives? Just fucking Ugh. ripping Betamaxes all day long? Is there? I will only know when Disney buys them and unlock, unlocks the, the CBS, MB, whatever fucking network it is, vault. Disney buys them and says, like, okay, we know you want Mandalorian Season 2. We know you want all these Marvel shows we've been promising. What if we dropped 2,000 episodes of Days of Our Lives on Friday? Now, it's not Hamilton, but it's 2,000 episodes of Days of Our Lives. I mean... What say you? 60 frames per second TV drama. 
That's what I'm saying. They were doing high def before anybody. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> why, are, why are soap operas so... Why is the frame rate on those shows so high? There's these weird different number of reasons. Cheaper, to, it has something to do with the lighting and and the cheapness with which you could shoot it that way. Soap operas also did the conversion to HD before anyone. It wasn't sports. It wasn't news. Mm. It was soap Soaps. operas. That's so they incredible. were... As, as they were pioneering the form of doing television in high definition, there was this bizarre learning curve. And because you have to do the quickest, cheapest fucking lighting job in the yeah. world while still making it look at all presentable, this is the weird format that you end up in. It gives them that strange over smooth look because they're shooting at a higher frame rate than the rest of us. They're like on their way to Peter Jackson Hobbit land. Yeah, they are. They're so, it's so weird. It's so much, such high fidelity for generally such <laughs> mediocre, super interesting stuff. I, I mean, get it. I don't get how could it so not mediocre, be mediocre? So they have to write one every day. How they could have to write it, one a how day. could it yeah. not be? No know? judgment at all. But still, <laughs> what the fuck? That's why every character on a soap opera speaks so directly because the writer didn't have time to figure out a clever way for them to say it. They just have to be <laughs> just, like, just, Sarah's your sister. You say... <laughs> they didn't have time to do it good. When, when, when shows like Maury <laughs> mm-hmm. and soap operas are the same. That's when you know writing for something that has to be on TV every day not going to go the best all the time. It's not feasible. The best you have thing to be that direct. Ellen ever did was decide that she liked dancing. So you can fill three minutes of every Ellen <laughs> by just <laughs> playing a song and have her yeah. dance through the audience. Oh, the freedom that they fucking earned themselves by doing that. It's like, oh, Ellen, this is the greatest fucking gift you could have given us. Is that you, uh, you know what? I love to dance. And then you can kill four minutes of every episode. That is four minutes that don't need to be written. And then they were like, you should also find kids that love to dance. And then we can have them just answer really simple questions or have their parents answer really simple questions for them. And it'll be great. If the Ellen show continues on for long enough, it will eventually become nothing but dance. Eventually, Ellen will be dancing the entire time for there will be no more Ellen based stories to tell. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure she's gone crazy in her castle absolutely uh anyway you know pretty okay episode of community uh it's been uh 400 years since we've uh been discussing the television show community uh so i'm just gonna go ahead on this very uh, loopy episode bring up the great community ranking sheet let's start with the end talks uh first on the end tags awesome elevator i hear awesome elevator awesome elevator where are we thinking it, versus both, bert and ernie versus versus bert and ernie yeah if bert, and ernie? if bert and ernie were oh, to fight mid, in an elevator point. it's number 10 it's worse than bert and ernie worse than bert and ernie in my uh, opinion because there's nothing like the oh my god i knew i couldn't do this <laughs> poor dimitri but maybe better than vending machine you know, you get a little bit more of the gang in there, and uh, they uh, do this crazy clothes switch. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, the clothes switch. The clo- I don't know, man. The vending machine's funny to me, though. All right, all right, all right. Well. It's uh, better than do you hate this. It's better than do you hate it's this. It's better than do you hate this. Well, then welcome our new number 12, Awesome Elevator. And uh, 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 we segue on to uh, Porn Names, which is one that I love. It's very good. <laughs> They're doing the, are you sure? It's the name of my middle school and my favorite soft drink. <laughs> oh shit and that's where you get the pizza guy coming in with extra sausage this is a end tag with a special <laughs> guest star uh you know we yeah. we got uh uh leonard in this end tag leonard, and Troy, some guy Abed, and some dude and this pizza some guy. beefcake <laughs> and we won't start getting weird guests in the end tags again until season five when troy is gone and the end tags go off into their own stratosphere <laughs> Yeah, um, I would put I would put poor names above poop rap, personally. Above poop rap, but you'll never put it above pepper water. That's a very high bar for you. Yeah, for me. I mean, unless you. Have I mean, an me argument. too. If you have an yeah. argument. I mean, I. I would say we're maybe inching up above Doctor Doogie Seacrest, but we're not quite at pepper water. Hmm? Okay, okay, I would hear that. I didn't want to say above Doogie Seacrest because I know how much you liked Dr. Doogie Seacrest. I mean, I like Dr. Doogie Seacrest, but this porn name, here's where the porn name stands out to me. I laugh multiple times during one end tag, whereas a lot of these are reliant on one big laugh. Yep, (laughs) sure, (laughs) sure. Mm. Okay, well, I will, uh, let's do a new number five porn names. All right. Above Dr. Doogie Seacrest. And now we segue on to the episode rankings, and we can start with contemporary American poultry. Is this our new number one? Is this better than pool? Mm, yeah. Uh, mm. It's tough. I think physical education is probably funnier. There are better episodes. There's also better, there's also better just fucking standout lines. Yes. You know what uh, I mean? The incredible run of Chevy Chase, Uh, a great ending. Oh, you have Abed's uh, dating quest in there. Uh, Yeah. Two? Comparative religion is the fight, right? Comparative religion is the fight. Mm. Mm. I love the Christmas mm, episode. The problem is that those, yeah, the Christmas episode I play every Christmas. Right. The chicken episode I don't play for... I don't just play it, but I also never skip it. I would never skip it in a watch. And I've skipped Debate 109. Yes. Right? So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I've, so so number three? <laughs> yeah. Personal taste. I just bit the shit out of my hand. I'm so, <laughs> You're so don't nervous. Don't even know what happened. What's happening? I will... Personal taste will give credence to the episodes where we can let the gang loose in that supply closet and they can get up to some weird shenanigans so i will say yes new number three contemporary american poultry that's that's tough that's gonna be yeah i made some some nerves become more i my words dude i'm so i will be uh beyond (laughs) honest with you i this Edible is only getting stronger and stronger. So we are losing Kevin <laughs> fast. Got, this plane go. is going Kevin down. Is. <laughs> or taking off one of the two, but either what? way, communication will be impossible. Yes, so we need to we're gonna, we're on a time schedule. 
<laughs> uh, shall we say uh, the episode we barely discussed, season one, episode twenty-two, "The Art of Discourse," and our old measuring stick. Is anything in this episode better than Vaughn's two songs? No. <laughs> I don't think so. No. But I think it is a more interesting character piece, and I laugh more than I do in the number 16 interpretive dance. Sure. Yeah. No, that works. So that I works. Uh, can, we'll slide it in under home economics with uh, S1E. Wow. 22. How the yeah, how are we so far? How are we so far? I know. Didn't we start this on quarantine? Yeah, we started. I mean, we recorded at the end of March for uploading the first week of April. And now we are almost done with season one, uh, which is absolute bananas. Okay, excellent. Just cruising. Yeah, just uh, these two at a time thing. Uh, Although I think the, the two at a time is put on pause for this next episode because we simply must devote an entire episode to modern warfare. We must. It's, it's no longer it's not a it's not a question of if. No. It's when. But and rather, when is next Thursday? Well, yes. You got it. You nailed it. You did the thing yeah, for me. Exactly. I followed it there. Uh okay, excellent. Let's slide right into plugs then. Uh Caleb, <laughs> what do you want you the people to know about? I sneak up on you. <laughs> um I have all sorts of things happening right now. Um, still doing content based on games. I've got a stream schedule, and that's going well. Um, but I don't know, man. The thing, the number one thing I want to shout out this week has nothing to do with me, man. Uh, it's got everything to do with uh, supporting the 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 stuff that's going on in our country right now, and being a voice for change against police brutality, against discrimination, for racial justice, for racial equality. Find places to donate. And I know that uh, Kevin's been helping you find places to donate if you've been following us. Just if just do that. If you're on the Greendale <laughs> 3 train, if you're on my personal Twitter, uh, you're, you're seeing the places to donate. Fuck anything that I would have to plug. Literally, who gives a shit? Go to the Black Lives Matter resources. Go to Act Blue, where you can you know, put a little bit in our nationwide jail funds. Be on the street if you can. If you can't do that, then donate. If you can't do that, then learn and educate. You know, it's, there are a lot of things in this country that I will allow us to disagree upon. This is not one of those issues. This is not one of those times. Uh, And, and I'm happy that this show can still come out. And I know I've been seeking a lot of like solace in my favorite podcasts. And I hope that this one provides a little south for everyone uh, for an hour and a half every Thursday. But we also still have to remember what's going on out there contribute however you can yeah the campaign zero naacp legal defense fund black lives matter the minnesota freedom fund there's a dozen different ways that you can support this movement and the people that are impacted by it and if for some reason you have trouble finding it my fucking dms are open on every social media platform twitter and and instagram tv's kevin lanigan slide in those and let's talk and let's let's set up some resources if anyone out there in listener land wants to know a little bit more about how they can contribute yes 100 percent. but we will be back next week with an extra special treat for everyone modern warfare it's paintball yeah. time uh, yeah buddy 
if you're listening to this, you've probably seen it a hundred times, but guess what? I'm watching it again this week. <laughs> hey, it's it'll be a good salve for any feelings you've got. What oh. a joyous 22 minutes of your life. Yeah, if it's on repeat, it can be as many 22-minute periods in a row as you need. <laughs> Let that be what you all need right now is a little <laughs> good old-fashioned paintball. Uh, stay tuned after uh, the, the song you're about to hear uh, for my conversation with actor Scott Thomas uh, from the upcoming HBO show I Know This Much Is True and from the Infinity Podcast. We He was a joy, one of the nicest people I've had the pleasure of speaking to recently, and so you can listen to that after this and uh, until next week. Is that, is that the Ruffalo Buffalo movie show? That's the Ruffalo Buffalo show, show, show. Yes, uh, but until next week, pop, pop. Give me some more time and dream. Well, as someone that often needs like media and stories to really like understand these these moments it's been interesting trying to find you know cinematic and and television parallels to this to like really help vocalize it or illustrate it for people that still don't quite understand it's really true and my friend sarah lahue who at sarah the color on twitter she's a stage manager in the new york film scene and just a great film person recommended an oakland double feature of blindsided and sorry to bother you and that really hit me in terms of i know sorry to bother you was a revelatory experience for me but there's something really interesting about the idea of an oakland california double feature during a time of racial unrest that's a city that understands that's a city who in being so close to la during the rodney king riots and it something about protest for justified reasons protesting injustice of a racial variety that is in the bloodstream of artists who are from that city and care about that city, particularly artists of color from that city is really what I mean. I don't know many white artists from Oakland. I'm sure they exist, but I'm thinking of the artists of color and that those films, I think I would like to revisit them at this time because I found them to be soul expanding at a time that felt less volatile than now. Um, even though this is all, it's always volatile. It's right. It's been volatile. volatile. It's been volatile for years, if not decades, but it's, it's just, it's cresting more and more and more to the surface. I like the idea of that particular double feature because it shows so many different perspectives and even like societal perspectives of lower class and higher class or folks that have ascended from lower class to higher class uh and and provide sorry to bother you one of the the wildest films to come out in the last few years uh but i mean one of the you can endlessly pick that movie apart you can really find new layers over and over and over again while also it being a movie about horse people spoilers i guess for sorry to bother you (laughs) it's so true god that movie boils down to horse people at the end of the day that's the third act that's (laughs) That's their that's their big twist and i i am aware of some people that were lost at that twist but 
no one can accuse Sorry to Bother You of not trying to hit a home run. Uh, you know, Boots Riley steps up to his first time at bat and is trying to knock it out of the park here. I would always rather a film did that. I had the misfortune of watching Capone this month, which has oh, nothing to do with the conflict that's going on right now. Um, yeah. Unless the catharsis of seeing an old white gangster shit himself is some sort of blanket at this time. There's something there. There's, that's not nothing. It's not nothing. But I admit it goes for it. There was not a single point watching that movie where I was disappointed that I'd spent the money, even though it ultimately is probably a Titanic failure. Like <laughs> it, it, Tom Hardy somehow got allowed to do what he did on screen. Like everybody supported the choices of his performance. And because they did, we get a performance that in uh, you couldn't if you pitched it to a screenwriter they'd go no tone it down that's a little too much no <laughs> one's gonna believe a performance like that can exist and it yeah. does and it's like do do al pacino's performance but dick tracy but make it method acting like and and shit yourself the whole movie what, <laughs> what? that ain't none uh tom that hardy is the guy we've just we've let him off the leash I don't know when the moment was. I some you know in he didn't Inception is not his first movie, but it's the first movie I think where he makes landmark mainstream success. And mm -hmm. even just two years later, he is giving this bug nuts performance as Bane, and we have never since tried to rein him back in. We've never <laughs> tried to pull him back to normalcy. He's just getting stranger and stranger, and the movies are not getting smaller. You're talking The Revenant, you're talking Venom, and he's just running. He's just going. There's something to be said for an actor who comes up doing voices as part of their prestige work, and I don't mean that in a in a critical sense, I don't mean it as a backhanded compliment, but like Gary Oldman also breaks out really in a Chris Nolan film. He'd been around the mainstream for quite some time, but mm -hmm. Gary Oldman becomes Gary Oldman for the lay people, mostly in Batman Begins. And, that and that's like most... a year after he makes his Harry Potter debut as well. Those are happening yes. concurrently. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's those two. And those are probably the most normal Gary Oldman performances in the canon. So, Absolutely. Like, so ultimately, his shift towards prestige recognition isn't nearly as extreme as you would imagine from the guy who was doing Fifth Element and The Contender and State of Grace. But Hardy literally breaks through doing voices. Like, mm -hmm. Inception is actually a big vocal performance, even though it doesn't feel like it. Bane, Mad Max... The way Tom Hardy actually sounds is in that Chris Pine MCG film. I can't remember the title of. Or Love is Roller, War? Or... This is War? Love is War. It, yeah, it's something like that. Something like that. It's something like that. So he he gets allowance to do it because it's actually, I don't know if there's any magical thinking for him, if he loves the craft. I haven't read anything about his relationship to the vocal process. And as an actor, I'm fascinated. But that clearly is something that once they said yes he was like okay i'm gonna keep doing this even for a character that i don't even for eddie brock i don't have to have that character be five burrows at once but you know what i will that's fine that's fine <laughs> he he is the nexus of the five burrows 
Um, I've been I've been reading uh, the city we became the new uh, N.K. Jemison book, Same. which is the the personification of the five boroughs must come together, and yes. they of course I haven't gotten to the end of this first book, but I think they might become Tom Hardy. I'm not a hundred percent. How far into it are you? I'm at about page like three hundred thirteen or something. I was just reading it earlier today. I'm like uh, two twenty something like that. Uh, my <laughs> My reading is off because the subway was my reading time. And now that I have not taken it in two months, uh, it, it it's thrown off my reading schedule. But I'm there. I'm, I'm trying to keep up with it. That's how music was for me. Before quarantine, I listened to everything. And I always thought that's because I was passionate about music, which I am. It's not a lack of passion. But... I also used to commute a ton, and that's where I would catch albums. Um, my drives up to Connecticut or taking the subway through the city, and quarantine happened, and I suddenly realized I wasn't listening to anything at all. And so I really understand that. It's the way we consume art is coming into focus because of this, and we're almost having to relearn now. And all our patterns are being thrown off, and um, music was something I've been doing, I often do on a run. That's like when I get in my music time. But I haven't been doing that for, for two months uh, for various different reasons. So like <laughs> yeah. CRJ and the Airborne Toxic Event drop albums basically on the same day. And it took me like a week to get around to listening to it because my running, my, my music time isn't there anymore. Oh, absolutely. Working out has now been when I've done it and it's not like I'm going to the gym. So I'm trying to listen to music while doing push-ups in the living room. And I got to say, for some reason, that's not landing as strongly. It's I can't imagine why. Yeah, <laughs> completely understood. Uh, this is, of course, the interview portion of Advanced Community Studies. Uh, joining me today is an actor, and uh, you might know him from uh, the Infinity Podcast as well. This is Scott Thomas. What's going on, guys? How are you? I am well, super stoked to, to be here. Oh, thank, thank you. you. That's man. that's the highest compliment I'll get all day. <laughs> Probably me. Honestly, me too. Like retroactively, I'm not. I'm not getting my compliments <laughs> from the delivery guy who's dropping off. Dig in. It's, no. there's no time. There, no. there. You know, I the the delivery drivers that have come to my apartment, and again, bless them because this they're they're keeping the the chain of command running. But they're getting yes. further and further away from my apartment door. It's like they used to come to the door. Now they come to the apartment building, and now they stay in their car on the street because they're busy. They got they got a lot of deliveries to make. I'll come down and pick it up. You brought it to me. That's fine. Absolutely right. And you got to do whatever you got to do to keep yourself safe. My favorite. That's right of these is actually, I don't know if you've ordered, and I'm clearly outing myself here, uh, alcohol over Grubhub or Seamless. I have not. And, and, okay, so there's one place by me in Prospect Lefford Gardens called Midwood Flats. We love it. It's the it's really like the sports bar craft beer pub in the area. Yeah. That's my jam. And so they've been offering a lot of stuff to go, whether you're walking up and down Flatbush or delivery. And when you order alcohol from Midwood Flats, and I'm not sure if this is true for all of Seamless, there's two boxes you have to check. And one says, I hereby admit that I am uh, 21 years of age and legally allowed to purchase alcohol. And the second is, I will reveal myself to the driver so that they know I am 21 years of age and not like a minor pretending. So there's the second box you have to check and then like come downstairs 
and basically present yourself as not being three kids in a trench coat. That's exactly what I was going to. The the driver has to open up the trench coat and reveal that you are not, in fact, two children <laughs> standing on each other's shoulders. So I'm glad and I'm glad we both went to the same place. Same place. Same thinking place. And and that I think is the only driver that has seen me regularly and so now it's a routine like now when we order for midwood flats they're in on it and they're like yeah the beard's longer i'm like thanks why would i shave you know it's it <laughs> what's just the keeps... point what's the point who am i trying to impress uh yeah. so let me allow me to ask you the the introductory question that i like to ask sure. is, can you tell me a little bit about your community journey how you came to the show uh, uh where you followed it to etc I would say the way I came to it indirectly is through my friend Patrick Deloach. He's a guy I grew up with, uh, one of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like one of the best students of comedy I know. He was, uh, he co-headed an improv troupe with me. He loved talking about television during that time when we were all starting to talk about television on the internet, right? Like in the forums, both mm-hmm. pre-Twitter and during Twitter's first run as community comes up. And I feel like I talked all the great shows with him. He was the first one to show me 30 Rock. We would do a lot of office discussions together. Pretty much that NBC streak. Anytime NBC. Classic lineup. Classic lineups. We would chat. And so I was very excited for Community because I remember it getting touted as the next in that succession line. And for me, I think I really followed, followed Community almost its entirety i when i go back and watch it now which is not so often i actually go back and watch the office a lot because to me the office is comfort food but community's almost too fast too furious to be comfort food it's like three meals at once and so i don't find myself sitting down to digest it that often but i i watched all the way through the yahoo season and i didn't finish the yahoo season because i was hit or miss on a lot of what was happening there But I stayed pretty invested. And those first two seasons of Community, even the third, I watched religiously. I talked about them with everyone. The metaphor I always use to describe Community, and it takes some explaining, is I think comedies are a lot like rappers in the sense that there's a time when every show is trying to be the best comedy in the game, faster, funnier than anything else or different And I feel like there was that time when community actually held the belt. And there was no question that it was the undisputed champion. And that period is when community was most alive for me. Like, it was thrilling to watch it every week. So uh, Patrick is how I got in. And then I stayed just because I'd never seen a show like it in my life. It's an unbelievable show. I love finally being party to one of the famous Scott takes. I'm so happy I was here for your dissection that sitcoms are rappers, which is, it's not something I'd ever really thought about, but you're right, is that they are almost, there's almost this sort of friendly competition going on between them. Uh, And so during that several year period where thursday nights at seven it's like community versus the big bang theory and the big bang theory is apollo creed like the big bang theory has all the money all the pomp (laughs) and circumstance and you know community was always this show that was beating up beef in a meat locker 
um, and and had to prove <laughs> itself, had to had to come up from beneath. And I I agree with you for a while there. And season two of Community, maybe my favorite season of television of all time. Uh, they were just firing because they had something to prove. They they had to make a name for themselves, and that's when they decided to do it. And and to add to that, like you're right, I never thought about how tight season two is, but when I went back and looked for these episodes, because I thought they were season one, I wasn't mm-hmm. sure, so I looked through season two and just saw hit after hit, and it reminds me of a phrase that I think it's uh, Lee Eisenberg said when they were writing Dinner Party of the Office. He said, you try to arrive at, and it's a sort of weird name, the killing fields in comedy, which is the idea that you've set everything up so well that you're just knocking down joke after joke. So almost anything you write is a punchline, even if it's not a punchline, even if it's a setup. You're just mowing it down one after another after another. I feel like season two almost starts mid-killing fields and then just doesn't stop which is remarkable. Even a great season of television, like season two of The Office, mm-hmm. sort of takes its time finding its groove. Like, yeah. to compare it to other NBC stuff, I love season two of The Office. I watched it during quarantine, but the Dundies is not casino night. I think you could almost hold any single episode of Community up from that season and be like, make an argument that it's the best. You can. You absolutely can. Yeah, uh, there and something I found talking to so many people about it is that everyone has their own different opinions about their favorite episodes, but they're all right. Like there's there, everyone is correct by choosing these episodes. Uh, and to you know, The Office only had what like eight episodes in that first season to like get its footing yeah. right. But you're here on like episode twenty of Community's first season, where they've had. The time, and I think everything leading up to this is good. It's some solid sitcom television. But right here at Chicken Fingers, I think, is when, oh, okay, this is community now. This has become the the wild genre, laugh-a-minute, conceptual show that we will follow for the next five years. This is maybe the moment where something just clicks and we're and we're off like a rocket these are two of my favorite community episodes ever Rewatching them i went oh yeah i could make a case for either one of these in my top 10 and there's no doubt that chicken fingers is in my top five it's 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 one of the most inspired genre riffs i've ever seen any show do and watching it today i was trying to figure out why why in particular this one sticks with me so hard and I came upon some conclusions that I'm like, I can be happy with those. I can be very happy with those conclusions. But also to your point, I forgot they had to do like 23 episodes. It's, we don't give enough credit to the shows that had to do this for just double the amount of time and not have it feel like it's padded. I'm a huge Never Have I Ever fan, which just uh, dropped on Netflix last mm-hmm. month. And that one's very indebted to community. Tristan Shapiro even directs a ton of it. Oh, there you go. They're dealing with 12 episodes. Like, of course it can be hit after hit. This was 24. Like, what? what? I, I I think that's something that's lost in contemporary conversation, which is how impossible it really is that these long seasons of uh, Community, The Office, uh, Mid, Parks and Rec, Scrubs, that that these episodes are good. It's a miracle an episode of television gets finished at all. 
the the sheer schedule these things are on to put it out week after week after week um that the fact that it can be hit after hit i i just don't even know how that's possible it just doesn't it doesn't compute to me how that's even possible yeah you, you don't imagine that sitcoms are going to be more like baseball than they are like a, a sprint but like you, you always forget that baseball is 160 games and a 24 episode season is more like that you can't but it's also not because in baseball you can afford to take a game off here and there like right. oh if your record is 157 and three versus 158 and two it's really negligible at a certain yeah. point but but like you said they were battling the big bang theory for ratings every single week and the internet discourse was sexy and new and so you really couldn't take a moment off which i wonder is maybe part of the reason that they find this next gear because if i'm not mistaken they knew they were on the bubble during the middle of the first season right it's they are always vying for ratings and so they've got to find ways to keep stepping it up and stepping up their game because they're not really safe when they're writing this episode and it is not a safe episode of television it doesn't feel safe now 10 years later yeah they could have gone because this the end of the first season is by my count the only period of time where the creators of community know that there's going to be more they mm. nbc gives them these extra three episodes and the extra three episodes end up becoming chicken fingers mm. um art of discourse and paintball those are the three episodes that they end up uh, uh getting bolstered onto their schedule mm. um and so this is their last chance to really like we're gonna try and make a name for ourselves and they could have gone completely the opposite direction they could have tried okay we're on the bubble so we're going to play it as safe as possible and we're going to give people um i i don't want to drag any particular show under the bus because i like a lot of these shows but they could have gone and been scrubs too but they mm -hmm. decided to be something completely different and and yeah. that is the way they tried to to stake their claim for themselves. Yeah, and I never thought about it that way before because I, I didn't realize that they got the extra three. Mm -hmm. That's something I didn't know. And thinking about it in this moment, I go, so knowing they had the extra three and we're coming back, it's like, why not swing for the fences? What do we have to lose? We believe that this is good. So let's prove that our version of the show, the one that's been... Uh, like materializing in the writer's room really that we've been cutting corners on a little bit is the show that we believe in and let's let the discourse speak for itself because that we have captured and it, it wasn't at a time yet when you know like the discourse was literally something that you tried to commodify but it, it was a precursor to that and i think that that's really part of why these episodes come out the way they do because it, it discourse is such a swing for the fences too even though it's not the paintball of modern warfare or, you know, the Goodfellas homage of, of chicken fingers. It's like, what if we examine that sitcom trope of all our characters are ostensibly bad people, which has been a recurring idea for a long time, but that Seinfeld really locked in. And it's uncomfortable to watch. And it doesn't get any less uncomfortable as it transitions into being a college comedy episode, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Jeff boning the weird kid's mom. Like, it's like, that is the third act, an attempt to bone someone's mom in retribution. That's what we get to. It's really, 
That's a hell of a thing. As daring as a chicken fingers or a paintball is, the end of the art of discourse is one of the strangest, like, semi-avant-garde experimental, like, episodes of the show that they'll ever do. This, like, slow-motion fight where they're just, like, getting into (laughs) verbal arguments with teenagers, and it erupts into a college comedy all around them. As much as I adore the episodes that bookend uh, The Art of Discourse, it's this strange microcosm unto itself. This completely bizarre sitcom. Yeah, and and, and that, in a way, and and I would have to go back and rewatch more of Community to justify this, but Part of the thing that makes Chicken Fingers so great and so lasting is that it is really rooted in Abed. Like even the scene prior to Act One, the cold open, is sneakily rooted in Abed in a way that you don't realize until you get to the end of the episode where he admits to being in the background. And so his beats aren't at the forefront of the cold open, but they're very establishing. And it's sort of a rug they pull out from under you. Here, his beeline in genre becomes the A in a splash at the end, and there's sort of no warning for it. And doing that really gave them license to be like, we're just going to throw in the homage when we when we want. Like, mm-hmm. we will get to play whenever we like, and that's going to be in the fabric of this show. Just, do you want to do a splasher genre? Great. Do we want to do a lawnmower man homage with the Dean? Great. We'll do that. Which is my which is my weird underdog community episode because I'm obsessed with the way Jim Rash screams Jesus wept. I think that is the funniest thing that's ever happened. Maybe uh, a scintillating performance, and you see that's the episode where they bring in Keith David as well. Yep. And if you give me an episode of television where Jim Rash is hooked up to a VR machine and Keith David enters your show, great. You'll you'll never make me happier. Uh, yeah. That is that's it. The Abed plotlines up until now have been, oh, he doesn't really understand sarcasm, or let's get this guy a date, or let's, you know, uh, he he drinks with Jeff so they can leave Britta a drunk voicemail. This is the episode where we step into his perspective, even though Jeff mm-hmm. is still our focal point character. You could easily say this episode, the Chicken Figures episode, is from Abed's perspective, that it's a mafia episode because that's how he sees it. And this is how he has to interpret the world and relate to other people, as he states so explicitly at the end of the episode. Yeah, and that by his worldview getting realized in the world of the show, he suddenly does have a language he can speak with everybody, right? Like, it's a lovely touch, like, oh, now I speak the language of chicken. But what he really means is Greendale is, however briefly, speaking the language of mafia movie, and that is a language I'm fluent in. And so for this brief period of time, his voice is amplified, but he also only knows how to amplify himself through the cliches of the genre. And even more specifically, Goodfellas. Like, one thing that breaks my heart about this is it never really strays from the Goodfellas path, which makes me think that Abed hasn't actually seen that many mob movies. It, There's it's sort of... one Godfather shout-out that I found. Yes. But that, and you could maybe say there's a little casino in there, but he's really only seen, like, two mob movies. Like, two mob movies. And, and so, in a way, he gets lucky. And I think... Like, that's kind of part of what makes the end for me so so moving when he moves on to Tater Tots is, like, he really got lucky 
that this is a language that the school embraced because it wasn't even his primary language. In discourse, he's got every uh, college movie cliche you can think of. He's hitting Animal House. He's hitting Weird Science. He's hitting all these things off his off his bucket list. And even name checks the bucket list. But here, it's because it was really 2010, moral. so the bucket list was a thing that we could do. Yeah. Uh, I've forgotten a lot of the great lines from the show, but I am never again going to forget. Like I could be, you could be my Morgan Freeman. Yeah. What? <laughs> like in the bucket that, list, huh? Like the, huh? <laughs> he's, just, he's just offering to be his Morgan Freeman. Yeah, I love it because I think in the chronology of the show, Abed would have been born in like. 1989 so by the time yeah. abed is like growing up and getting into movies we had essentially stopped making full-on gangster movies for the That's most a really part good point. we you yeah. know the closest we get during the 90s and on are these like cop and robber movies like heat or public enemies or or donnie um, brasco which is only sort of a mob movie right it, it's more it is more of a cops and robbers movie yeah scorsese comes in with goodfellas and virtually like takes the mob movie and says he's going to promote it and then shoots it in the back room like it's over after goodfellas everyone yeah. says like this is an act we cannot follow i guess this genre's done for now uh and so this is that's his that's his last grasp and i don't know how intentional that framing is for he would only understand mafia movies up to a certain point but it's very interesting to me yeah yeah it's it's really there's something and there's another thought that, that crosses my mind which is it feels like to me the way these episodes unraveled jeff is very significant not because he needed unraveling but because it, he is the focal point character but the way he's unraveled a little bit allows him to be less of the focal point character in a classic hero sort of sense, right? So often when we see the traditional hero get their comeuppance, we have to build them back up again for them to remain kind of that apex of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. And that is not what happens in discourse. And it's not what happens in Chicken Fingers either. It actually reveals, like the two takeaways I had from this episode where Jeff was concerned, one is what... Um, Abed says about he and Britta they have the fragilest egos of anybody in the group and that is not resolved at the end of the episode the food no. fight distracts from it and I guess he gets to bang the guy's mom twice but that's certainly an escape not a resolution and, and he and Abed are maybe the loneliest members of the entire group which is not to say that they have the same amount of friends but they're very lonely deep down they don't really connect with people in a deep, meaningful way. They both struggle to do that. And I thought that that little scene of them doing 16 candles together is 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 kind of shattering for that reason. Like he realizes, yeah. no, we both really struggle to connect. Yeah, as much as Jeff, they don't lean on it as much as a facet of his character, but he also has difficulty connecting to people outside of pop cultural references. He's always yeah. firing them off. He understands all of Abed's references. I think he's just as lonely and closed out, but he can hide behind the bravado and the, the swagger of being Jeff Winger. Um, but yeah. he, this show was never afraid to make its lead unlikable and and small and and show him as like a petty person even shows i love and and characters i love like 
the Sam Malone or JD from Scrubs or whatever, <laughs> your lead always at the end of the day had to be a likable enough guy. And Jeff Winger almost challenges you to see him as likable at certain points, how, how yeah. low and petty he will get. Yeah. It's, I, I have to think more and I wish I thought more before coming on, uh, like uh, about the line that exists, like between something like community and it's always sunny in Philadelphia, which we, we think of more as a successor to Seinfeld because everybody is clearly an awful person. Right. And so the gang gets into these situations. Community is not nearly that far over the line, but I think discourse actually goes far enough to say if like, what if everybody in this group can be a really awful person or maybe kind of is not a great person deep down. Um, but yeah. that still makes them worthy of, of love where they can better themselves. That's one of the big takeaways from discourse to me. It's like the best person in the group might be Troy, like technically. Yeah, like, as like a purely, like usually noble being. <laughs> yes. As the one who's most noble, who most often displays empathy and a capacity to like learn and not backtrack on what he learned like to actually grow over the course of it it, it might be troy it's he's the least microaggressive character on the show that's for sure 100 um, percent. he has such a substantial arc from entering the show as this uh, cocky know-nothing quarterback and exiting it as like someone who's finally like finding value in themselves not just in what they're good at and yeah. he's also the only character on the show that gets to like exit greendale on the, his own terms he yeah. because you know yvette nicole brown leaves between seasons so does chevy chase uh and you know chevy of course ends up dying not chevy pierce ends up dying uh but right. everyone else who leaves the show usually does it between air dates and he actually gets to like ascend he gets to move on to the next plane because he's he's yeah. learned it's like the end of the good place i assume you've seen the end of the good place. yes oh for sure yes which is yeah. another show that i think has held the crown of 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 best show on tele uh, best comedy on television at for some a couple point, of years right? there, like, absolutely and, and really one of the only other network ones to do it too which was another thing i think is so amazing about community it never felt like network television to me and it was at a time when I was beginning to realize that that distinction was either going to matter or already mattered. Mm -hmm. It felt more like a cable show that was on network, given what it was doing and how it was stretching. And ultimately, I think Michael Shore is kind of the only guy to take the lessons of community and say, I can graft that onto another network comedy. Um, since his He's DNA the only guy still making them. He's the, yeah. you know, everyone else has fled to either cable or streaming and sure um, has kind of vocalized why himself. Obviously, over at NBC, he can kind of do whatever he wants, uh, I, as evidenced by The Good Place, uh, second maybe only to community as far as like the most bonkers shows that have ever aired on NBC. But he likes the restrictions of episodes having to be 21 minutes long. You have yes. to, no matter what you're trying to do, pare it down. And as much as I like 
the Yahoo season of Community, it kind of drags a little bit because suddenly your episodes are 30 minutes long. Or God help you, uh, the Netflix seasons of Arrested Development, where you're getting to like 40 minutes for an episode of Arrested Development. And and yeah. those NBC time slots, they make you make the hard choices to keep this thing running. Yeah, and, and, and teach you, like, I will probably go back and watch these episodes again, because I write a lot in quarantine and have, you know, a writing career separate from the, the podcasting and acting. And that opening segment, the, the, the cold open of Chicken Fingers, is insane in terms of where it places jokes. Like, punchlines are not at the end of, of, of jokes. They are the first set. They are the first two words of someone's line. That's also layering in exposition. Um, it's setting up stuff that's going to come back later in the episode, or even just be a, a rule of three within the cold open. Like it's so jam packed that it's more like watching Steph Curry play basketball than anything else. You're just, it's handles all over the place and it's really deft and graceful. And that's a lesson that you should have as a writer, no matter how long your project is gonna be, if you can do any scene that feels that rich with almost no context, save the characters, that's incredible. It's incredible. That they could pull it off and pull it off on a weekly uh, writing and shooting schedule is, it's it's unbelievable. The like Russian Matryoshka doll they set up in these scenes that they can put together yes. and then take back apart. Um, well, it has been lovely talking to you. This is the time uh, where you can tell the people what you are up to and where they can find you. I would love to. So uh, if you have not yet watched HBO's I Know This Much Is True, boy, do I understand your resistance to that because it is mostly a depressing show during a very depressing time in uh, our history. There's not nearly as many people of color on the show as I would like. However, I am one of the people on that show in episode two, and I do think it winds up being a very beautiful story about the working class. So go check out that show. Um, I'm on that. You can also find me at OG Scotty T on Twitter and the infinity podcast is where I am every single week in week out talking about Marvel movies, but really rarely talking about Marvel movies, especially now that Marvel movies are on ice for the foreseeable future. Um, so we are finding some interesting things to talk about in the coming weeks. Our, our show doc is looking wild, to say it's, the least. It's good and interesting every single week. I, I listened to your most recent episode this morning. I, I really like it. It's one of the bright spots in my pod schedule. I really enjoy it. That really makes my day, man. And it was a thrill to come on your show, which I'd actually heard before you invited me on. Um, I think, yeah, no, uh, through, I want to say Matt Storm or Rachel, because uh, Rachel was doing her community rewatch, yeah. of course, for for the pod, um, and it's just this is a delight, and I think it's one of the things that podcasts can be at this time. You know, is 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 a way to brighten the mood, whether to dive into what's going on, escape it, both. If we can suffice a little joy into or fuse a little joy into people's lives, it's it's such a gift to be able to do that. Exactly, inject a little bit. You know, we we can't forget about everything that's happening, but. No one can be on it 24-7. So, it, yeah. you know, if you if I can offer people 90 minutes where they can relax and think about a show that they like, then that's all right with me. I, I am fine Absolutely. with that.
This has been a Talkback Podcast. That was quite a show. That-